Hey, welcome to Tangible Takeaways, episode 13. That's a quarter of a year. Quarter of a year. Quarter of a year. That's nuts. Uh, I'm Jackson, and today I'm going to tell you about how uh, living things fight and dead things just keel over. Yeah, and I'm Mike. I'm going to just talk to you about the ultimate pyramid scheme, in case you were wondering. All that and more in this episode of Tangible Takeaways. Episode 13 of Tangible Takeaways. Good to be with you. Thanks for being on, Mike. Yeah. Good to have you. Yeah. Talking about real love, real life. That's the order, right? Yeah. I I think I'm always mixed up on it. It's two (laughs) L's, so it just messes the whole thing up, you know? Yeah. Uh, You've been on staff for how long here at HTC? Three and a half years now. Three and a half years. Okay. And what's your role here? Uh, Yeah. Care and counseling is kind of my area of oversight. And so, man, if people are going through difficult seasons of life, I kind of get to make sure our church is doing doing what we're supposed to be doing, taking care care of people when they're when they're struggling, when, yeah. it's, when life's hard. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, such a cool department and ministry yeah, that you guys is. are involved in it and is. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so this weekend, we're looking at uh, the beginning of First John chapter 3, which even as we were talking ahead of time for this, <laughs> it's got some really confusing stuff in there. You yeah. know, Pastor Tom had his work cut out for him with just a lot of different things that John's got in there. Um, John's sometimes a very confusing writer. Um, I think back to like when he almost kind of overtly seems like he's contradicting himself earlier in the letter where yep. we're like, what is happening? Yeah. And there's just some, the way he writes is kind of hard to follow with sometimes. And sometimes he's just throwing stuff out that feels like he's just kind of bringing it up and his audience knows what he's talking about, but we're kind of confused. We're trying to figure out what he's referencing and things like that. So there's even some insider stuff sometimes in the way he writes that you're kind of trying to track with and stuff like that. So he's just a very different writer. Yeah. John is different. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're used to more like Paul, you know, it all all seems to just be logical and progress the way we would expect it to. And John, it's like he throws curveballs at us all the time. He's like, oh, wait, what if we just talked about this for a second? It's like (laughs) he just throws these gigantic parentheses in his text sometimes where he's like, oh, but I had this other thought, you know? So he's a little (laughs) bit more scattered that way. And one of the confusing things that he's got in here is um, here in John, 1 John 3, in verse 2. Two, he says, dear friends, now we're children of God uh, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but uh, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him uh, for we shall see him as, uh, as he is. All people uh, who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he's pure. And then he goes on to talk about sin, right? And, um, and it's, there's this confusing part where he, he kind of gets to in verse six, no one who lives in him and keeps on sinning, uh, no one continues to sin, uh, has either seen him or known him, right? And we're looking at that and we're saying, okay, we're talking about this, you know, great hope that we've got in Christ and things like that. And then John just kind of cuts the corner and says, but those who continue in sin, they don't even know Christ. They've got no part in him. And we're looking at our lives saying, well, shoot, I I think that there's still sin in my life. Yeah. So what does that all mean? So when we get to that and John's talking about that, what is he talking about? Oh, those who man. continue in sin. Yeah, and that's one of those one of those things that I, I think you have to settle mm. because we don't stop sinning. Yeah. Um, 
And so he even says that back in chapter one. He's like, you know, if you claim to be without sin, chapter one, verse eight, um, then you deceive yourself and the truth isn't in you. So there feels like another open yeah, contradiction like, man, in his writing. You know, John, what are you, what are you saying? You yeah. know, can we sin or can we, can we be in Christ and still and sin? Still, yeah, struggle. And uh, I think one of the things that doesn't always come out in our English translations is just this idea that this is a continual ongoing habit of mm. sinning without any change, any conviction, any, oh man, I, I, I need to stop that. Yeah. Um, so I, I when think, we read this, we're really drawn to the sin part, yeah. but what John's really highlighting is the continuing. Yeah. Right? And it's, it's just day after day, you know, moment yeah. after moment. And, um, and, and I think we, we kind of think, oh, I've got to stop sinning entirely. And I don't think that that's his focus. Yeah. His focus is it's, it's, it's not, um, it's not compatible to say I am positioned in Christ, but I just sin all the time. I do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Those don't go yeah, together. They just don't go. And it's it's actually interesting the way that he writes this. I think we have a hard time interpreting it because it brings up this insecurity for us. Absolutely. Where the moment we read it, we say, "Oh no, maybe I'm not what I thought I was," because yeah. there is this insecurity to the Christian life that. Yeah, I am positionally holy, but not everything in my practice is yet. Yeah. And that brings up this insecurity of like, so does that threaten my positional holiness? Does that mean that I'm not positionally holy in Christ? Right. And so that insecurity is already there. And then John says this and we're like, okay, well that confirms it because I haven't stopped sinning entirely. Yeah. Well, then that means I'm not holy when yeah. that's not at all what he's talking about. Yeah. And I think we put it in the context even of our, you know, interpersonal human relationships where... You know, if if I sin against you, it, it's going to have a negative impact, right? Yeah. I mean, you're going to feel that. I'm going to feel that. And, you know, there's this angst now between you and me. And so I think, I think you know, anytime we, we sin, we're kind of thinking, oh, man, you know, I'm, I'm in trouble with God, you know. Yeah. I don't even know if he's going to listen to my prayers now or whatever that might be. And, and we have a tendency to read in the way we deal with personal relationships into our relationship with God. And, and I think some of it is... Part of this is us learning mm. how God really is and not assuming that he's just like all the other people in our lives. Yeah. That we know. yeah. And even how we build our identity with Christ factored in now, because um, really kind of the way that the world works is you build your identity off of what you do, mm -hmm. right? That's like one of the first questions we ask when we get to know do? somebody. Yeah. What do you do, yeah. right? Because what you do to us, what you do determines who you are, yep. right? That has direct correlation and who you are determines like whose you are, right? What you belong to, right? So uh, if what you and I do is, you know, we, we preach and we counsel and we take care of people, well, then that means that we're pastors, right? That's who we are, which means that then we belong to the church, right? And things like that. And that's kind of how we build identity. Mm. Um, but the gospel is so different yeah. because the gospel doesn't start with what we do. It starts with what God has done, right? right? Like that's the foundation of confidence is what Jesus has done on the cross. Yeah. But then it gets even more backwards because what Jesus has done then determines whose we are. Right? Yeah. It determines who we belong to now yeah. because our response to it determines whether or not we belong to God. And then whose we are determines 
who we are because now we're sons or daughters of God. And then that actually determines what we do. So what we do flows out of who we are when we think that what we do determines who we are. Yep. And so that gets so backwards for us in our identity. And that's where all this insecurity and angst comes from, yeah. right? Is that, man, what, I, what I'm doing isn't consistent with who the Bible says I am. Mm-hmm. So that means that because what I'm doing is wrong, then I'm actually not what the Bible says I am. Mm. When it's actually, no, 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 you are holy. And the more that you come to believe in who you are because of what Jesus has done, the more you're going to live like it because what you do flows out of who you are. Yeah. I I remember uh, probably one of my first Christian authors that I kind of like really connected with was a guy named Jerry Bridges. He's with the Lord now, yeah. but he's he's written prolifically. One of the, well, the first book that I ever read of his uh, was called The Pursuit of Holiness. Mm. And uh, then years later, he wrote another book called The Gospel for Real Life. And um, probably those two books uh, were my favorites, but yeah. he just was so helpful in this area for me. And one of the things he said in uh, The Gospel for Real Life, he said that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day mm. because it's the gospel that reminds us of this thing that that we have an identity that has been just granted to us and we've been positioned in Christ and we need to daily remind ourselves, no, I am in Christ. I am a, I'm a child of God yeah. um, through faith in Christ. And that is where we start. Yeah. 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 I love that. And it, it, it makes me think of, you know, a book by, um, by Bob Goff, where he yeah. talks about In Love Does, how people become who you say they are, right? Yeah. It's it's about whether or not you see people for who they are, or who they're becoming. Yeah. And God's so good at seeing us for who we're becoming and calling us for who we're becoming. So oftentimes when we come to passages where we see terms like holy and righteous come up, our first thought is that's not me. Yeah. But that's because we so refuse to believe that we are who God says we are. Yeah. But the more it's it's this kind of practice of preaching the gospel to ourselves and saying, no, I need to believe that I actually am what God says I am, yeah. that I actually am his kid, yeah. that I actually am holy, that I actually am righteous, yeah. not because of what I do, but because of what he has done. Yeah. And the more that we come to believe that, the more we live like it. Yeah. It's this really kind of, it feels so backwards because it feels like let's go work on our practice and then that's going to determine our value and our identity. Yeah. But it's actually, no, let's just come to believe our identity yeah. and that's going to have drastic impact yeah. on our practice. And I think too, with this tension, in, in real simple terms, living things fight, right? In what John's mm. talking about, yeah. right? So if you're going to go continuing on in sin, right? Like we talked about, no conviction, no feeling like anything needs to change or improvement at all. Well, then you're dead, right? Yeah. Like that would be, that's easy, <laughs> that right? Would, like yeah. if an alligator is chewing on your leg and you're not doing anything about it, yeah. then you're dead. That's what that <laughs> means, right? Because there's no tension. There's no struggle. Living things fight. Yeah. So if the, it doesn't matter that the alligator's on your leg, if you're alive, you're fighting against that alligator, yeah. right? So just because the alligator's there doesn't mean you're dead. It's how you respond to it, yep. right? Are Absolutely. you fighting or are you just kind of keeling yeah. over and saying, eh, this is just my life now? Yeah, yeah. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> the tension of the Christian life, yeah. right? Yeah. And then here's another weird one. A little bit later in verse seven, John says, dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. Uh, The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 
No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Mm. So John moves on and he starts talking about the devil's work, right? And how Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. And that becomes this other confusing one. That almost feels like that kind of insider language. Like John was preaching this at some point and he told his audience, what the devil's work was, but for us, he just kind of brings it up and we're like, okay, what is he talking about? Because this is a totally unfamiliar term to us, right? So as we get dropped into kind of another confusing spot in John's letter, what's he talking about here when he's talking about the devil's work? Yeah, you know, and I think we we need to remember, okay, this is is one of Jesus's closest friends, right? Spent three years with him. So I think Whatever we're going to understand about what John's thinking about the devil, you probably got from Jesus from three years. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I think of, um, you know, Jesus teaching, you know, that the, the devil comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Mm. Uh, he's just, he's a, he's a liar. He's the father of lies. And so he's a deceiver. Um, mm. So all of these kinds of concepts, I think, you know, are, are in John's mind. So when he's thinking about the devil's work, he's thinking about things like lies and deceit and, and things that are destructive. Yeah. Um, and, and so death itself and death itself. Yeah. Yeah. Death itself. So, you know, to be, to be one, um, who's, you know, who's doing sinful things, um, is just to be like, just pulled into this realm that, that Satan is you're you're right where Satan wants you, man. When you're when you're going against God, that's exactly what he wants. Yeah. And so that's that's his work. Yeah. I think when the it's interesting because this is so close to John bringing up the Antichrist too, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. And John kind of brings up these terms. He brings them up so casually, almost mm-hmm. so like flippantly, like mm-hmm. it's not a big deal to him. And that's kind of the Bible's handling of the devil and of the Antichrist. Yeah. Not that it's like you know, don't, don't worry. Like, don't like, not that it's no big deal, but at the same time, it's like kind of casual to Paul and to John, like they're not worried or scared about these boogeyman kind of names that they're tossing around. And one of the things I think we do, you know, I had talked about this in this series last weekend is we allow superstition to kind of inform a lot of these things. And man, we're so bad at that when it comes to the devil. Yeah. Because what we actually do, what we tend to do, is we give the devil all of the power that God has in our minds, right? We think of him as omniscient and omnipotent and kind of this like all-knowing, all-around, he's like everywhere that I am. And when things don't go our way, we say like the enemy, he's coming after us, right? And we kind of give him all this like very godlike power that he's just everywhere all the time. Mm. But the devil doesn't have that power. The devil is in one spot at one time because he's not God. God, yeah. And he doesn't know everything because he's not God. Yeah. And so we give him kind of this, like, we want to give God an equal almost. And so we, we make the devil that kind of equal mm-hmm. when in reality, like this is kind of weird when you come to think of it, the devil probably doesn't know your name. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like he probably right. doesn't know your name. Yeah. You probably haven't bumped paths with him. You've most dirt, most certainly bumped paths with demonic things, right? And sure. stuff that he's, you know, I think what the devil is doing is the devil's setting up systems and structures yeah. that work for him. Yeah. Um, oppressive powers in the yeah. world when we think about death and destruction and chaos and lies, right? There's better ways, like he's a mastermind, yeah. man. So yeah. he's working at, you know, 30,000 feet yeah. on all of this stuff yeah. where we're so often giving him so much more power and yeah. like ability 
ability to kind of dominate in our lives because our superstition yeah. gives him more power than he actually has. Yeah, yeah. In one sense, he's kind of like the old, the the first creator of a pyramid scheme. Yeah. You know, he sort of sits at the top yeah. and he gets people and and other demonic forces underneath him. But you know, it's like. He's got, we, we've got no direct, he's got no direct line to us. Yeah. We've got no direct line to him. And it's just like, man, we just need to get out from underneath that scheme. Yeah. Right. That he has. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah. That's a great yeah. image for it. A pyramid scheme. <laughs> or even as you're talking about that, it makes me think of like a mafia or a mob right. boss, right? <laughs> right. Where yeah. he's got all these kind of like gremlins yeah. and hooligans underneath him. And right. they're kind of like the yeah. low levels. Yeah. And those are the people. Grew that, in the minions. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Things like that. <laughs> yeah. Where he's really kind of so far removed from the everyday life and things like that where mm -hmm. he's he's really kind of working at that kind of global scale yeah. with things and so when we talk about the devil's work our mind immediately goes to like oh man what's the devil doing to me and my right. life and things right. like that and it's like no 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 we're talking about a global thing here when yeah. we talk about the devil's work we're talking yeah. about ways that he kind of perpetuates these sinful practices and things like that. Like when we're talking about the devil's work, we're talking about global operations of human trafficking and of genocide and things like that, right? Like those are where we're seeing the footprints at this kind of global scale. And what we're dealing with in our own lives, we're probably dealing with the gremlins, right? Like yeah. we're probably dealing with those kind of low level mob bosses, yeah. um, but they still represent to us, you know, kind of this grander scale. Yeah. And so what Jesus comes to do is obviously he comes in and he's just wrecking shop when he shows yeah. up, right? Like he's dealing with all the little guys along the way and he's casting demons out of people and things like that and dealing with these demonic forces, confronting them head on and then yeah. ultimately confronting the devil head on as well. Yeah. Um, so when he comes to destroy the devil's work, man, we're, he's, he's dealing not just with the little mafia bosses, but he's dealing with the head honcho, right? Mm -hmm. The godfather yeah. of the devil's work being yeah. the devil himself. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, ultimately conquering it through his death on the cross, right? Yeah. So uh, a, a couple of confusing things in here that yeah. we're kind of wrestling with, but then as we're thinking more about man, just real holiness in our life. And uh, even these kind of two action points that Pastor Tom left us with to um, renounce sin and to remain on mission, you know, kind of these real big kind of focused things in our lives. Man, how do we actually begin to practice real holiness? If we're saying living things fight, man, how do I fight a little bit better? How do I, how do I seek to stay fighting uh, and not kind of succumb to just kind of uh, lay in there and being content with the way that my life is? How do I stay fighting? How do I stay on mission with people in my life who maybe could care less about holiness and things like that? Mm. So as we kind of name of the show, tangible takeaways, as we kind of <laughs> try to get tangible with it, what are some yeah. of those things that come to mind? Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, gosh, I've been walking with the Lord for a while now and, you know, in pastoral ministry for like 25 years. And, you know, I, for me, it's, it's, there's a lot of real simple things, mm. um, you know, uh, today I've got today and, uh, every day God's mercies are new, you yeah. know, every morning and, um, man, to just, to just take one day at a time. I know that that's a very cliche phrase, but just practically, it's like one of those things that, uh, the devil's work is about is to, uh, um, remind us of past failures yeah. and to get us afraid of what's going to come out in the future. But man, I've got today. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in the morning, uh, if you can get your 
identity in Christ, you know, just mm. finding yourself there and just finding time throughout the day to just be reminded of whose you are, yeah. who you are in Christ. And just to just to seek to live that out, um, mm. uh, just on a moment by moment. And when when you screw up, when you when you fail, when you sin, just know um, God's got that. Yeah, um, he he's ready to forgive. He's ready to say, "Let's put that behind you and keep moving forward." And yeah, so I think just kind of not allowing our past to speak into today or our future to speak into today yeah. more than more than they need to. Yeah. Um, so easy to get overwhelmed that yeah, way to say, I so. man, I there's this addiction in my life or this issue in this relationship. And um, maybe there's something I could do about it today. But is that really, you know, over the next few years in my life, is it really going to help make it better at all? Because for the last few years, it hasn't been that good. And all of a sudden, we're looking to the past and the future, yeah. becoming so distracted from today by those things. And it's so easy to... I think shame is kind of this weird thing. We tend to think that shame is really beneficial for our lives. Yeah. When we hear Jesus talk about it, when we hear the Bible talk about it, the Bible hates shame. Yeah. Like, and Jesus's death on the cross is like an all-out like assault on shame. Yeah. And that's the that like when he's talking about it, he is not like, well, a healthy dose of shame in your life. He's like, no, like no shame. <laughs> like, and yeah. when when God's even talking about his people, he said, I want you to be unashamed. Like, yeah. it, as I think back to these like Old Testament prophet examples talking about the future under Jesus, talking about, man, I, I want you to be unashamed yeah. with me. Um, because the Bible doesn't see value in shame. Yeah. But we have kind of come to believe that there's this religious value to shame, mm -hmm. that if I actually think hard enough and long enough about how messed up that thing was that I did, then it'll get better. Mm. And it actually yeah. only gets worse. Yeah. Because what happens is, is when you, you know, cookies is an easy example, because that feels like a far less intrusive sin to be talking about, right? <laughs> so with, if we're thinking about cookies, yeah. and you eat too many cookies, right? And then you start thinking, man, I ate too many cookies, and you dwell on that more and more and more, all of a sudden, all you're thinking about is cookies. Yeah. You're thinking about how it was bad that you had cookies, but all you're thinking about is cookies. Yeah. And so eventually, what you start to come to believe is you're just a worthless person who eats cookies all the yeah. time. Yeah. And so as you come to believe that you're a worthless person who eats cookies all the time, right? You, What you believe about yourself, you'll start to live as, yeah. right? And worthless people do worthless things. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, well, man, your self-esteem, your value is so low. Yeah. Then why not have more cookies, right? Yeah. Why not go back and double right. down? And so the focusing on cookies actually takes your eyes off of what absolves the issue, yeah. right? Which is to actually get our eyes on Jesus. Yeah. And so shame has this kind of beautiful guise of if you really focus on the sin, you can actually fix it when that's actually never been true because it's actually taking our eyes off of what we just did and onto Jesus and yeah. saying, man, I'm so broken. Yeah. You're my only hope. Yeah. You're my only hope in this life. And I need to stay focused on you and not get distracted by what sin's trying to do is it's always trying to bring my eyes down off of Jesus. Yeah. That's what it's always trying to do. Yeah. It's always trying to get me distracted. And shame is this beautiful lie from the enemy that, man, it's going to all get better if we just focus enough and make enough plans and yeah. so on and so forth. Yeah, and I think that that same thing is true, not just in our relationship with God, 
But I think in our relationship with others, mm. you know, Pastor Tom was talking about, um, you know, we need to we need to love others. You know, it's mission critical, yeah. right? And that we also need to renounce sin. And even in how we relate to other people, and I, I just. Uh, I grew up in a kind of a church culture that was really good at shaming people, try, trying to use shame as a motivation to get people to do what was right. Mm. And it, that's really not very helpful. In the same way, it's not helpful for us, um, you know, just to constantly be thinking about how we're messing things up, yeah. thinking about our cookies. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not helpful for us to remind other people, hey, man, you know, you, mm. you're eating a lot of cookies there. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it, it would be much more <laughs> loving and much more helpful to another person if we actually were pointing them to Christ, something mm. something that actually would do them some good as yeah. opposed to always pointing them to the thing that's not doing them Yeah. Good. Instead of saying, man, you know why you feel so worthless? It's the cookies. Yeah. To say, man, I... I feel worthless all the time. You know what helps me when I feel worthless? You know what my confidence is when I feel worthless? It's what Jesus has done for me. Man, to be able to shift that conversation instead of pointing out, here's why you feel worthless. Like You get that, right? Here's the thing. Everybody, what we kind of fail to realize, everybody's walking around with certain levels of shame in their life. Like, there's, we tend to think we're the only people who have shame in our lives and it's everybody else is doing fine. Everybody's walking around with levels of shame. And so, man, what I want to think about when I talk to somebody else is, am I contributing to that? Yeah. Like, I don't want to be contributing. They, if I'm pointing out, hey man, you eat a lot of cookies, that's yeah. probably why yeah. you're feeling so embarrassed, so worthless. Yeah. Man, they already know that. That's yeah. dominating the way that they think about themselves. I, man, I've got the best news on the face of the earth. I've got the gospel. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to tell them that cookies, you know, eating the cookies all the time sucks. Yeah. I want to tell them, man, do you know what Jesus has done yeah. for you and me? A couple yeah. of cookie-eating people, man, who just can't get it together. You yeah. know what he's done to deal with yeah. our shame, to deal yeah. with that guilt that we feel? I mean, that's like, talk about a, two different approaches, right? I think when Pastor Tom's talking about renouncing sin, the very first thing we can go to is like, man, I just got to go start calling sin out in everybody's lives, start pointing yeah. out the cookies everywhere, oh, yeah. right? Like that's the first place our yeah. mind goes to. When I think, man, it's so much more about that, that point is for me yeah. and I got to renounce sin in my own life yeah. because I don't want to just one slippery path in the Christian life is to say, man, I don't want to come off as judgmental. So I want to be just strictly love and kindness to everybody around me. And as we do that, we also start to be just strictly loving kindness to ourselves, right? And all of a sudden there starts to be these slips and these moral failures because what you'll kind of tend to see in believers who follow the loving kindness only kind of abandon truth, abandon the authority of scripture, things like that. Well, man, that starts to reflect in their own life. And that desire to pursue loving kindness only, that actually tends to be more about them than it is about other people. Yeah. The desire of, man, it's kind of easier to go do whatever I want to do. Yeah. So I want to renounce sin in my own life. I want to love other people and I want to make sure that, man, I'm sticking to what's true mm. and renouncing it in my life yeah. and keep pointing other people towards how, man, you don't have to live yeah. with that shame that same way. Jesus yeah. has done something for that. Yeah. So thanks for being on, Mike. Just yeah, great fun. talking about yeah. all of this. It's good on Tangible Takeaways. Hopefully it was a helpful yeah. conversation for you. Uh, and as always, don't forget to like and uh, maybe comment a tangible takeaway you have from Pastor Tom's message this weekend. Uh, and uh, maybe share this with somebody who the conversation might be helpful to. That's all we got for this week. Uh, we'll catch you guys next week on Tangible Takeaways.